0: What's up, guys? It's Alex Gray, and you're listening to the Moto X Pod Show. Hey, this is David Vitterman, the Cobra. You're listening to the Moto X Pod Show.
1: Back, What's up, man? I'm Dark Side back with uh, the Moto X Pod Show, episode 127, brought to you by Torque One Racing. Torque One Racing is providing high-quality, economical performance parts. We all like that. Check out Torque One Racing for grips, pegs, handlebars, shifters, brake pedals, and more. Follow them on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Shock Socks, MX Girl Designs, Off Sport Dynamic, Wrist Braces, Blood Lubricants, Fly racing, power band racing, works wheels and mods, extreme colors, custom painted helmets, and Kyle Tucker with Keller Williams Key Partners. Thank you to all our sponsors. We uh, we appreciate everybody. We've got a couple giveaways to do through for some of our sponsors here tonight. Um, you know, High Point is come and gone. So uh, that's that's a pretty great race. Four rounds in now to the series. Um, you know, I mean, like right now we got Eli and. Kenny, you know what's up. Eli and Kenny seem to be the favorites in the 450 AC and uh, probably Justin Cooper in the 250s. Um, I don't think that's going to stay that way. I think some guys are going to start stepping up. We're going to see a little more out of Zacco and Jason Anderson. And, uh, you know, hopefully Michael Moseman is going to start stepping up, getting uh, getting some podiums, and we'll, we'll just see what happens. Uh, going WW Ranch this weekend. I'm looking forward to getting out there to be at my first national this year. Um and see what everybody does, man. I'm, it's gonna be hot as hell, but I'm excited to get out there, hang out with Gringo and uh, man, whoever else is there. I guess um, there's a list of people that are supposed to be there. I want to, I can't wait to see. Um, so yeah, let's do these giveaways. So recently, for we've been talking about the Fly Helmet giveaway. Um, the custom painted helmet, Fly F2 from, and we're gonna get it painted by Extreme Colors, uh, for one of our Patreon listeners. So I took all the Patreon listeners. Put their names in a hat. You know, if they were five, if they five dollars or less donated, they got one pick. For every five dollars, you get extra pick. You guys know what's up. Uh, drew the hat, drew the name earlier, and our winner for the the helmet is uh, Dex Lester. So Dex, if you're listening, uh, well, I'll contact you here later and let you know that you won that. And then uh la- two weeks ago, we announced that we we're doing a helmet giveaway on uh, email. Email me. We had a little question we asked. Answer the question for a fly racing toxin embargo helmet. And Casey Lawrence won that. So, congratulations. It, man, you got to, if you enter, it, you, you may win. You never know. We're doing a blood lubricants giveaway right now on Instagram. Check that out. Go to the Moto X Pod Show Instagram page and enter to win some blood lubricant products. Um, yeah. So, tonight we've got uh, Scott Jordan. He is the announcer for Monster Jam and the floor announcer for Supercross this year got privateer Jeff Walker, who has a huge following on YouTube. Uh, amateur kid named Nick L- Laurie, who's going to be on. Uh, he's going to be doing Monster Cup this year. He got invited. And he's done pretty well at Loretta's. And then Mr. Dave Nichols from Bolt uh, Motorcycle Hardware. You guys have seen them. It, probably most of you have a Bolt kit somewhere uh, in your shop or in your trailer. Uh, he sponsors guys like... Um, the brothers and a lot of them teams he helps out uh clint lund one of our friends of the show he he uses bolt for hardware kits uh they bolt bolt hardware hooked me up i called and talked to him about the project i'm working on the 99 cr250 they helped me out with some hardware to for that bike uh yeah so man go go check out BoltHardware.com. uh follow those guys on instagram twitter really great for the sport we're gonna get dave on talk about that in a little bit uh but in the meantime i'm gonna try to get tj on the phone we'll talk a little bit about high point um and the season so far before we get to our first guest so we'll, uh be right back okay so dj tj once again is out of town because he's a loser and all he cares about is money what's up tj
0: well i gotta i gotta have money to um spend on playing fantasy, which makes me hate motocross
1: completely. why why do you hate it
0: because because fantasy motocross pulp m x fantasy in particular has ruined motocross for me and the world is terrible and I'm never watching another race again <laughs>
1: okay that makes sense uh it definitely can be frustrating um <laughs> had some uh up and down weeks this week wasn't terrible even though i had like three zeros, I think.
0: Yeah. It was terrible and, and I tell you how bad it is. I don't like I I watched the race and whatever, but I didn't even enjoy watching the race and barely paid attention to it. I was just cussing and I don't even use bad language that much, but I literally said a few cuss words about the guys that were um on my team.
1: Yeah. I was pretty frustrated with March Banks and then I had one other guy that did bad, which I can't even remember who it was now. I kinda I, they must be dead to me. I blocked them out.
0: Well, we got two guys coming up next week that I'm, I'm going to have to play now that I think about it because next week in the sand, I got to pick Zane. He's a local kid. They yep. train at Sand Track. And um, uh, Parker Matchburn I think, is making his pro debut.
1: And you're going to so, pick you're um, gonna pick him, huh?
0: Yeah. Okay. He's as fast as um, any of those top guys. I mean, any of those kids that are – yeah, he's up there. So Cool. I mean, he went to Canada last week, didn't have the best, but he only did one moto in the mud, you know? Yeah. And I still think he got, like, a top 10. So,
1: nice.
0: Um. Yeah. All right. Anyway, yeah. well, no, I'll I I'll,
1: uh, have to go talk to the – you have to send me your team beforehand so I can go talk to those guys and make sure that they do really bad.
0: <laughs> so, so, they – Um. The yeah, the weekend was actually – pretty cool i like the way the watching the track change from moto one to moto two yeah like i thought the track was really good because the, at the the first motos it seemed like kind of a normal track but it i maybe i'm wrong but it looked kind of almost hard pack at times i mean it had ruts but didn't look hard as cement the way the guys were bouncing off of them
1: yeah the track was pretty uh the track was good man i, I enjoyed it i thought it was one of the better tracks so far this year
0: it made for interesting racing, and it, and it was really tough on the guys and guys that I thought would do good, obviously, because my fantasy didn't. Right, and um, like I was really blown away by how bad. It wasn't bad, but I was expecting Cooper to be up towards the front. I mean, I know it's not a home race, but it's pretty close. The kids definitely spent time there racing. Yeah. So I mean, I was like I said, it was it's interesting, and I think. The I think the season is going to start getting boring.
1: Really, so you don't think like I think yeah. like Zach and uh, probably Marvin and, and even Jason are going to step up here in the next couple of weeks. I really think it's going to start coming. I think we're going to get some different winners.
0: Okay, we may get a few different winners here and there, but I don't, and I'm not the one to listen to. I claimed that I didn't think we'd have one person win three overalls. Um. You know what I mean? And yeah. 250 or 450. So yeah. I'm obviously not someone to listen to when well, it comes yeah. to this, but everyone agree,
1: but, would agree with that.
0: Exactly. But like I was saying, they um, it just doesn't. Okay, man. Maybe the different winners, but I don't think the battle for the championship is going to be close.
1: Okay. So who so who wins? Who wins the 450 and who wins the 250? You've already got your mindset.
0: Yes, I'm pretty positive that's just gonna be Cowie both ways, unless obviously, obviously, a, a, like someone getting hurt. Right. I believe Tomac's gonna to get it, and so is AC. I just, I mean, I don't see it any other way happening. The way the way it's going now, do you see? Because there's too much inconsistency. Tomac's in shape. He's gonna have bad motos, but he's gonna have more good motos than bad.
1: Yeah, you're probably Um, right. I mean, somebody's really going to have to step up and start beating him and consistently staying. You know, I mean, Kenny's the closest one, but Kenny, I I don't know, man. We'll see after this weekend, you know, all the talk with his health and whether he can actually maintain when it's that hot.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be – I mean, we know how it is here just in East Texas. Um, I've spent time in Florida over the past two years. It, It doesn't even have to be hot. To be miserable.
1: Right. right. Um, I
0: think a lot of the guys that are, I mean, but Kenny's out there. I believe he's actually still living in Florida, right? Brandon? Yeah. Yep. So I don't think it's going to affect him as much as I don't think it's going to be the big test everybody's talking about. I think the test is going to come as the season goes on, as he doesn't get, you know, rest on the weekends, um, if he can manage that, if he's still dealing with that.
1: Gotcha. Okay. I
0: mean, because think about it. A lot of those kids, and a lot of us, they're—I'm like, old enough to call most of them kids. Right. A lot of those guys are—they um, they all train there. I, I don't think it's going to really hurt any of the top guys. Any, like I don't think it'll make a big difference. The only thing that will is the guys that are good in fan. Obviously, Zacho will probably have a really good weekend. Um, stuff like that. I think the most—the surprising thing. Is what happened at
1: the GP this weekend? That was, yeah, I was crazy. I, I mean, I've been kind of going back and forth. Like Geyser is kind of my guy, but I really wanted yeah. Kairoli to break that record. I want him to get another world championship. So I was, I really. He's
0: am, going to now. Huh? He's going to now.
1: No. Out. No, I wanted Kairoli to get another championship.
0: That's what I'm saying. Kai,
1: but Kairoli's hurt now.
0: Oh, I know that and Hurlings is hurt, too.
1: Yeah, but so is Cairoli. He dislocated his shoulder.
0: Oh, I didn't know about that. I just I just heard about what happened. I didn't uh, watch it. I just heard okay. about what happened with, with Hurlings well, winning the first moto with a broke foot.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, the, yeah, Cairoli, and you even saying that, saying that not knowing that Cairoli got hurt and saying he's going to win the championship, Geyser's been schooling Cairoli the last six motos, man. He's he's uh, he's He's the points leader anyway. Yeah, well, there been, you go. I mean, eventually, Geyser may eat shit like he typically does, but <laughs> really now, I mean, you know, I think they have a couple of weeks off, um, so you know, Chiroli probably can come back, but you're still talking about really five, six weeks before you're probably 100. Um, percent Yeah. But then the, the the Yamaha guys over there have been like Tonis and um, Favre. Man, they they were, <laughs> they found a, another level the last two rounds, so it's been. It's a pretty awesome series to watch.
0: Yeah. Well, I haven't been, I just, I just was like reading or hearing about his, about that charge that he made yeah. going down and getting run over on the side lap, fixing his bike, going out and winning yep. and then not being able to race the second moto because they had a broke foot.
1: Yeah. He was like, so fast. And then like at the end when they interviewed him, he said, I have to go get an x-ray of my foot. Cause the pain is excruciating. I'm like, you're going otherworldly fast. And you're talking about how bad you're in pain. It's the guys get a amazing. cortisone
0: shot. Yeah, don't even take the boot off. Right, just put the needle through the, boot, the boot into the foot. <laughs> <laughs> get a kid go out there and win. And just in case,
1: right? It's been a pretty pretty fun series to watch. So I'm enjoying it. And uh, yeah. just so you know, I had a chance to tell you. I uh, talked to Jason Anderson's. Um, I guess this is manager. I, I don't, his public yeah. relations guy today and. Uh, we're going to get a little one-on-one with him in uh, Florida this weekend.
0: Heck, yeah. Yeah. So that, dude, that, that dude's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. We talk, You and I talked to him uh, in Vegas, and yep. I, I hit him up and said, hey, I'm going to be at this round. I'd really like to get some time to visit with him one-on-one where maybe he can kind of get to know me a little bit, and we can eventually get him on the show. So we'll see that what happens. Be,
0: hey, when you walk away, I dare you to say, well, we're like best friends now. <laughs> okay. Can we just become best friends? All Anyways,
1: right. We'll see. Awesome. We'll see. I'll I'll play it by ear. So, anyway, well, TJ, I'm gonna wrap this up. I got uh Dave or uh, Nick L- Laurie coming on here a little bit. He's an amateur kid that's gonna come on, and I don't think I even gave you the guest list. We've got Jeff Walker tonight. He's a privateer that has a massive, massive following yep. on YouTube.
0: I've been watching his YouTube yep. channels. The dude, the dude, like. Yeah, very well, very articulate. Mm -hmm. You already talked to him?
1: Yep, he's going to be on. And then Scott Jordan, who is the voice of Monster Jam and doing the floor announcing for Supercross this past year, is coming on. And then Dave Nichols, who owns Bolt Motorcycle Hardware, he'll be on also.
0: Heck yeah. That's our guest list. You 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 kill it with the guests, and um, that's going to be awesome. And have fun in Florida while I'm out in freaking ball i will Wait, so this weekend is florida yep so i'll be in i gotta drive 25 hours from west texas to michigan i probably could just accidentally go to florida it's probably about the same distance yeah
1: you could do that or you could just say oh i broke down babe i'm just gonna have to stay here sorry
0: you got to stay there yeah. and then i just wind up in florida with you and Dude. i'm like oh i didn't mean to wind up at this race <laughs> it was
1: an accident uh, It's an accident. All right, man. TJ, have fun working. I'm going to take a quick break and come back with our first guest. All right. All right. See ya. Be back. Okay. We are back with our first guest of the night, and he's brought to you by Torque One Racing. Once again, if you're looking for grips, pegs, handlebars, shifters, brake pedals, or more, hit up Johnny at TorqueOneRacing.com. Uh, I think we thank them for being the title sponsor on the, sh- on the line with us right now is amateur superstar to be Mr. Nick Laurie. How, what's up, dude? Not much.
2: Um, just excited to be on the show.
1: Yeah, man. So, uh, Brett Hooper, who is, uh, owns and works, Wilson mods. He's a buddy of mine, a sponsor of the show. And you know, uh, I, I met you earlier this year and, uh, we talked about getting you on the show and, uh, he's, he's going to help you wrench at an upcoming race that we're going to talk about. Um, but tell us a little bit about yourself, Nick, man. Um, when did you start riding and how old are you right now?
2: Um, I started riding when I was four and, um, just always stuck with, with it. And right now I'm 15.
1: Okay. So 11, about 11 years r- riding. Um, when did you start racing at four?
2: Yep. So yep. As soon is as I, this, got on, I wanted to race.
1: Is this something that your family was into or did you just kind of discover it on your own somehow?
2: Uh, my dad was always into street bikes and um that's something I always wanted to ride or just get on with him and yeah. Eventually got me the little fifty and just from there took off.
1: And how how long before you started winning races?
2: Um maybe like fifties, maybe like three years, two years on fifties at local races and stuff.
1: Okay. Um, and I've seen you, you hit Loretta's a few times over the years. you got some top tens, um, pretty successful there. Is, is that something that, um, like is Loretta's difficult for you? Cause that's a pretty high, high pressure. Uh, uh to me, that's a high pressure amateur race. A lot of fast kids from all over the country, obviously. Was there any pressure for t- in your mind or was it just like another race for you? Yeah, it's
2: definitely, um, some pressure just you know all the sponsors are there and yeah this race means a lot and but biggest thing is staying consistent there
1: so where do you train at most of the time um
2: i'll uh i i like to mix it up okay so i was in florida for a little bit i was down at mill Training train for a little bit i trained with zach slieberg for a little bit um just mixing it up i stayed in texas for a couple of weeks Where at in
1: texas Oh, uh, BPMX. Oh, okay, yeah, down down there near Houston. Yeah, I've got a buddy that lives down there and uh, has been to that place. A few, uh, th- does Van Martin go out there sometimes?
2: Yep, yep. yep I thought
1: so. Definitely. I know I know Van well, and yeah, I hear I heard a lot of good things about that place. I haven't had a chance to get out there yet.
2: Yeah, I was out there with uh, my friend Franklin Magriss, and he was pretty much just showing me around. Yeah, we we're riding together.
1: Cool, cool. Well, um, so Brett was telling me that you got invited to uh, to race Monster Cup this year in October. Tell me a little bit about that. How that come about, and uh, what do you think about it?
2: So, while actually while I was in Texas, um, they had the Houston Supercross yesterday, yeah. and I actually didn't know until maybe three or four weeks later that if you got top three in a Super Mini Two class, you were invited.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't know that either. That's cool. Yeah. So, what do you what do you think about? It? Well, what what did you think about Supercross futures? Um, I got to see a, maybe 3 of them. I think I was involved with. I did uh Houston, I was there. I was at the finals in Vegas and I did Phoenix where I kind of hung out. Um some of the tracks were harder than others. Um there's a lot of different skill levels that are at that event because there's like old farts like me that aren't very talented and there's fast kids like you, so they kind of have to build a track for everybody. But what did you think about the Supercross Futures event?
2: I think it was a a good stepping stone into uh, looking into the future for some kids. It was uh, definitely a cool experience to be in the stadium, just be a glimpse of what could be. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, And and how did you finish at that Houston round? Uh, I got third. Third, okay. Uh, Who are the other kids that are in your class that are like your biggest competition?
2: So, that race, it was me, Caden Braswell, and Gavin Towers battling that whole race.
1: That's awesome, man. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's going to be those two, and obviously Crockett Myers, Chase Prince, some kids from Australia are going to be pretty competitive in, uh, at Loretta's.
1: So, are you at all, like I asked you about nerves and pressure for Loretta's, but Monster Cup, man, that's on, you know, that's on TV, uh, like national TV, a lot of people watching. Do you think that I have any effect on you, or is that like no big deal? I'm just gonna you know go race and uh, throw down and show the world what you can do.
2: I mean, I think um, obviously it's gonna be a little bit nervous no matter what, but the main goal is just to go have fun and make sure, see how much training I put in.
1: Yeah. Okay. And Brett was telling me that uh, you know Team EBR picked you up uh, with a support ride. Tell me a little bit about how that came about, first of all, with Team EBR.
2: So, it all started at Loretta's, and Brett forgot a pit board. (laughs) (laughs) Way to go, Brett. (laughs) So, he went to EBR, and we just borrowed one, and... um. He inter- Brett actually introduced me to EVR, and they started watching me through my races, and they seen my results, a couple top fives, couple top tens, and motos. Yeah. Um. And I just from there, I started talking to them, and after after I was done over with, I was I was talking to um EVR, and they're they're saying they would like to support me, and it was it was a lot of um. Good things after that race.
1: That's awesome, man. I mean, yeah, keep telling the story, but that—that's really cool that a team like that took the time to watch an amateur kid. I mean, I know they do that. A lot of major teams do that, but just to hear, you know, somebody like yourself who is doing it on your own, you know, maybe didn't have a lot of hype or or whatever behind you, and then a, a team wants to help you out.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you always hear about it that teams are watching, but you never actually see it happen. Yeah. What did it was that make? Cool to actually see it happen.
1: What did that like? What were your first thoughts? What did that make you feel like? Because that's that's, <laughs> I would think that's pretty damn cool.
2: Yeah, it was more like a confidence boost. You're like, okay, maybe I do have this, or maybe I can be good at this.
1: Yeah. So what? And what do they help you with? What like? What exactly do you get from EBR? Do they transport the bikes? Does it? You know, you get parts. They get. I mean, obviously, you got Brett helping you out. So I mean. You know, that's kind of the, Brett's kind of the bottom of the barrel for mechanics. I mean, I don't know.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just whatever I need, they can help me out with discounts or, um, okay at, like, track support if something goes wrong with my bikes, and just a little bit support of everything.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that takes the load off you and probably your dad and your family, you know, and you know you have that, because... I mean, you more than fifty percent of the time. I'm sure you're out of track, and, and like, there's going to be a mechanical at some point. Something's going to happen, and to have that support there, that's such a stress relief, such a load off. Yeah, it
2: really is.
1: So, what do you think about you? You're, you're doing a little bit of the supercross futures. You probably ride a little supercross when you're training, and then you ride some uh, outdoor stuff. Like, what do you prefer? What's more fun? What are you better at?
2: Uh, I honestly love supercross. I'm from Maryland, so a lot of tracks are really uh timing, like they're not as wide open. Yeah, so I've always felt comfortable with Supercross.
1: Okay, see, that's so, so weird to me because again, I'm older. I'm 43, about to be 44, and uh, yeah, it's I was never. I only rode like quote unquote Supercross a couple times on some amateur days when I was younger, and that shit ain't for me, man. I'm uh <laughs> it scares me. I, I'd rather. I'd rather have a little bit of a distance between jumps to recover and recoup and rethink things. So,
2: yeah. And that's another thing. It, uh, definitely separates the riders. Yeah. So a lot of riders can go fast, but not everyone can keep it under control.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of technique, a lot of skill involved. Well, I mean, in, in outdoors and supercross clearly, but it's a whole different skill level in supercross. So I'm really impressed. Um, what about Loretta's this year? Is that have you qualified? Is that something you're you're still working on?
2: Yeah, um I just qualified from South of the Border uh this weekend.
1: Okay. And what classes will you be running?
2: Super mini 1 and Super mini 2.
1: Awesome. When do you move when at what point do you move up to the next level? Like I I'm not super in tune with all the amateur rules. I don't know what ages and times like when do you start when do you get on a 250?
2: So we were thinking, I'm a taller kid. I was. We were kind of thinking to go to 250 after Monster Cup mm-hmm. or if any other rides or support came along, we'd go with that. But I don't really plan on staying super many okay. after this year.
1: Okay. Um, so there's a lot of talk, and, and you listen to other shows and like theories on the training facilities now. Like You talked about south of the border. A lot of kids, they go to south of the border or they go... Wherever, whatever training facility, and they stay there and they train and they train and train. They don't race that much until like an amateur national comes up at a big event. Um I, for one, along with a lot of other people, think that kids like you need to be racing damn near every weekend, you know, at least a couple times a month, even if it's not a big event. It could be a local race with just a few guys, just to have some gate drops. What do you think? I mean, do you think you know, just being at a training facility and battling and, and and hitting lap time, lap time, lap time is good. Or do you think actually showing up at a race and get some gate drops and banging elbows is better?
2: That's what um, I believe too. That you definitely need to go racing. Okay, anyone can be fast at a practice track if you spend enough time. But once the racing starts, the the whole mood changes. Everything changes. Yeah. Well, yeah,
1: you know, and, and I've heard this theory. We t- heard people talk about this. You know, at a practice track, you like if you're at one track for months or weeks or whatever, you learn every little nook and cranny of that track, and you stay in that main line and you just hit it over and over and over and over. That's not realistic in a race.
2: Definitely, right. yeah. That's one of the things. That's why I've always kind of like dumped around. I never really stayed in one spot. Yeah. For years.
1: I like that. And what do you, what do your parents think? I mean, what what's your mom think about your career path? I mean, clearly where you're headed, you want you want to go pro at some point. You you'd love to make a career out of this. Um, moms aren't always on board with that. They're sometimes a little bit scared, you know, they're moms and they're protective. Uh is your mom a moto mom for like 100% or is she kind of like uh little, you know, nervous all the time? I mean,
2: I think every mom's a little nervous when we racing, but she was all for it from the beginning.
1: That's good to have that support. Um, yeah, I, I like that. So, tell me a little bit about yourself off the bike, man. What are you into? What, uh, are you a Fortnite kid? Or are you, you know, into music? You, what, what, what's your, what do you like to do when you're not on the bike to just take a break?
2: Um, I've always my dad's own gym, so I've always liked to go in the gym and work out. Just feeling I've always been around. Obviously, I like to go outside, build jumps. Like I other kid, yeah. <laughs> not much in the inside.
1: Okay. What about any other sports? You into anything else?
2: Um, not really. It's just been crossed all the way. Okay. Well, and
1: back. Like, what about music? Because I'm a big music guy, so I like to hear what, what kids are into. Oh
2: uh, yeah. In general, um, I guess rap and hip hop.
1: Damn it! What is wrong with our youth, man? My kids, <laughs> into, my kids into the same thing. I, I I tried to teach them, man, rock and roll. I took them to concerts. Yeah. And he listens to hip hop. I don't understand, but that's cool though, man. I mean, as long as you got something to kind of listen to and chill out and you know, you have, a you know, motocross is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I love moto, but you got to have a little something to take your mind off it every once in a while. Cause it becomes a grind, man. It becomes, you know, I don't want to see kids yeah. like you get burned out. So, you know, as long as you kind of, you have that balance and I'm sure your parents, um, help you with that, that that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, I mean a little bit of golf here and there, I like okay. to learn different things. There you go. Yeah. Just, I've seen Jordan Smith and Jordan Bailey play golf and I'm like, oh I might as well give it a try.
1: <laughs> that's a yeah, that's another stressful sport from what I hear. I um I've never played other than just hitting ball like driving range or whatever. That doesn't count. So um well tell me about hooking up with Brett, man. Like I said, Brett's actually a good dude, I kinda of busting his balls, but I like Brett a lot. How'd you uh, meet Brett, and um, how'd that relationship start?
2: So, it, um, it all started, I met him when he came. Uh, he actually came to my house house with Anthony Rodriguez. who was renting for him. Yeah. And um, I'm really good friends with Anthony Rodriguez. So, him and Stephen Clark came to my house and stayed for the Bloodscoop National. Okay. So, I'm at that floor. And I met Brett, and... I and mean, ever since I met him, we've been messing with each other. He keeps things light. I mean, yeah, I can see that. Just out on the gate, and he lightens the mood. It's just a good, good thing to have, and really thankful for Brett.
1: Awesome, yeah, I like Brett a lot. He's really helped me out, and uh, yeah, I can tell that he's lighthearted. And you know, even though he forgot your your pit board, I mean, it's, at least he didn't. <laughs> at least he didn't forget to put fuel in the bike or something. That's you know, we we'll draw the line at something that significant. But I like Brett a lot. Well, Nick, man, I appreciate you coming on for just a little bit and talking to us. Um, Man, really, I wish you all the success this year at at your amateur nationals and different events you go to, and can't wait to see a Monster Cup. That's going to be badass. I'm hoping to get out there for that event.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, Nick, man, take care. Um, And once you hit those events, maybe towards the end of the year, we'll get you back on. We'll talk about how everything went.
2: Okay, thank you, thank you for having me on
1: the show. Absolutely, bud. You be good and uh, be safe, and we'll talk to you real soon. All
2: right, all bye right. Bye. See
1: you, Nick. All right, that's Nick Laurie. Um, yeah, follow him on Instagram. Uh, seems like a really good kid. Um, I think he's, you know, Brett. Brett's got a lot of good things to say about him. I got to meet him briefly at one of the supercrosses this year. So yeah, we want nothing but the best for him. Let's follow him, and uh, yeah, maybe he'll be a, a surprise in the pro ranks in the coming years. You know, maybe he'll make a name for himself. That'd be Really great to see. So, all right, thanks, Nick, for coming on. We'll take a commercial break. We'll be right back.
0: Since 1998, Fly Racing has been focused on developing the best gear possible. With research and development, they have become a leader in safety and comfort.
1: Fly Racing is worn by many of the top athletes in motocross and supercross, including Weston Pike, Blake Baggett, Zach Osborne, Andrew Short, Damon Bradshaw, and Adam and Tyler Antonap. Seven-two tray. I wear fly cute, Wear fly shoes. 2019 fly racing line includes the popular light hydrogen the new evolution dst line the all-new women's light line a redesigned f2 helmet the fr5 boot and zone and zone pro goggles
0: fly racing also has hard parts for mountain bike products and snow gear go to flyracing.com or check out your local dealer for more info
1: Blood Power Sport Series, Blood Racing Pro Series, and Blood Racing Pro Elite Series were all created to bring out the highest level of performance and protection for all types of racing. From dirt track to off-road, motocross, supercross, and drag racing, bloodlubricants.com has what you need. Along with their oil lines, Blood Lubricants provides chain loop, degreaser, polyclean, and other top-notch products. Independent tests have shown Blood Lubricant oils To allow your bikes to run up to 30 degrees cooler. Give Jeff Green and Blood Lubricants a try and you won't be disappointed. Blood Lubricant sponsors of Tyler Powers, Team PRMX, Team TXS, and many other pro Supercross and Motocross riders. Visit BloodLubricant.com today. Okay, we are back from our first commercial break of the night. And brought to you by Blood Lubricants. Blood Lubricant oil lines were created to bring out the highest level of performance and protection for all types of racing. Blood Lubricants has three series of oil to fit your needs, as well as chain lube, degreaser, polyclean, and more. Whether you ride moto, race dirt track, or anything else, visit bloodlubricants.com for all your oil needs. On the line with me is uh, privateer and YouTube sensation Jeff Walker. What's up, dude? (laughs)
4: <laughs> I don't know if I'd say sensation, but uh, I'm doing good, man. Just loaded up um, from the track. Good day of riding. We're uh, in the van on the way home right now. So yeah, time that's to do some chatting.
1: That's really cool. I I kind of discovered you a couple months ago. One of my buddies, Hal Simpson, who's a, a big listener of our show, was dude. You need to get Jeff Walker on. And so I was like, oh, I got to check this guy out. Started watching your videos. I hit you up on Instagram with zero response uh, on DMs. So I was like, Well, I don't really know how to get a hold of this guy, you know? And then um just you know, then uh Michael Lindsay was on pulp like last week and talking about you and I texted Michael and Michael didn't respond and um then I guess it was Brett, Brett Hooper hooked me up with you.
4: Oh man, yeah. It's it's been crazy, uh, the messages and everything that I've been getting ever since I started my uh my Instagram inbox has been stuck on ninety nine plus message requests for like months now. Dang! <laughs> so my apologies for missing. No, it's all good. Uh,
1: you're you, you know you're yeah, a rock I, star. It's okay. You, you know.
4: No, no, not a rock star. <laughs> Far from it. Hey, we're trying to get to that level though, <laughs> dude. Well, I'll
1: tell you what, man. We've been doing this show a couple years, and we've kind of plateaued at where see we've kind of where we are. We've got a, you know a, like three or four thousand downloads a week, which isn't terrible um
4: yeah that's real good but yeah,
1: then i look at your good. youtube channel and like last week for your your high point video you had like <laughs> seventy five thousand downloads i'm like dude can we get half those just give us half <laughs> but so yeah let, let's let's back up just let you know i know you've been a privateer for a long time you've been racing for a long time but let's talk about the youtube thing because that's how i discovered you um how did that come about and how
4: did it take off yeah honestly i never ever intended it to uh intended for it to be like what it is now honestly i started my youtube channel originally and got a gopro originally because uh, my whole life growing up it's pretty much just been like me and my dad going to the races together and going to practice tracks together and all that stuff so when i moved to florida for college obviously he's back in ohio um you know 1200 miles away from me and every single time i'd go to the track he was like hey you know, have Bridget, that's my girlfriend, have yeah. Bridget get some video. send me some clips and everything. And I'm like, you know what, dad, I'll just get a GoPro <laughs> and I'll upload some GoPro for you to watch instead. So that's what I did for a little while, um, probably like a month or two. And, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it was good timing with the new GoPro coming out or the new like Honda works edition 450 coming out. Um, and people wanted to see that, but people just started tuning in and watching those GoPros. And then they were like, Hey dude, like, we need more. We want to yeah. like know who you are. Like do some talking and stuff. So I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> I'll do like uh will do a review on the new bike or whatever and people just started digging it. So
1: That's cool. Yeah, I don't know
4: if it was it's kind of a combination of a lot of things. Just like good timing with like things coming out and then obviously when I started my channel it was winter everywhere, but I was in Florida, so I yeah. was like kind of the only person putting out like motocross content at the time. So Yeah, I don't really know what it was. Um but I'm thankful for it. It's been really cool.
1: How quickly, like, like when it first started, you probably had a couple, two, three, five, ten. How quickly did it jump to a significant number? Like, how how long? A month, two months before you'd like, were oh my god, what just happened?
4: Yeah, well, I got the um, GoPro for my birthday in August, and then I uploaded my first one. I think it was around Thanksgiving time of um, last year. It took me that. Uh, yeah, 2018. That holy uh,
1: crap! That's like no time at all.
4: Yeah, so so I was super surprised, but um, it took me like a whole month to get up the courage to actually <laughs> talk to it. But, yeah, um, yeah. But I, yeah, then I remember when I came home for Christmas and I got um, the 125 for my 5,000 subscriber mark. Like it was my milestone. I kind of su- surprised everyone by getting a CR 125 for 5,000 subscribers. Okay, and, uh, so that was about a month after I for, yeah, a month after I uploaded my first one. And that's when I kind of realized, like, whoa, the growth has been, like, crazy just in one month. And I was kind of excited to see, like, where it could turn out in a year like, two years, you know?
2: Absolutely. Um, so
4: this, I think that was when I first kind of realized, like, we had something a little bit special going on and maybe we could do something cool with it.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. Like I said, I I kind of looked at some of the the comments that people post. And you're a very personable guy. Uh, you're always smiling from the ones I've seen, like really happy. So, I mean, you, you have a great personality so I can see why it's taken off. Um, I'm telling it, it kind of makes me a little butt hurt because we've been doing the GoPro stuff <laughs> probably. Well, this season, I, I, last year was our first year as a show. We'd go to super crosses and I would just do audio recordings. And this year I took a GoPro and started doing videos and I started doing videos when I'm riding and nobody has wanted to see me ride. Cause it's, su- I'm super slow. So, yeah, it's our our show YouTube channel is not gone at the trajectory yours has, man. You've got something special and it's really cool.
4: Yeah, I don't know I don't know what it is, but it's definitely an untapped market. Like there's yeah. no privateers or I mean like Cincerella did it for a little bit, I don't know, Sealy posted some videos and those dudes were getting like crazy hits. Right. And they would just only do it for like a week or two and stop. And I was like, Well dude, people obviously want to see like what it's like to be a professional motocross racer and obviously like when those top guys do their videos it's not really realistic for the average joe but like sure. me, i'm i'm totally an average joe just doing what anyone else could do um on you know a pretty small budget and pretty much stock equipment so i don't know people kind of i feel like they kind of relate to it because they're like man like you know he qualified on a bike that's modified <laughs> less than my bike like, yeah maybe, yeah maybe, exactly maybe I could start busting my butt and get out there and like try it or something you know it's possible obviously so I think people are kind of resonating with the, the underdog story or whatever or like you know whatever the fact I'm in college I think people kind of respect and think it's cool because they're like maybe they told theirself, themselves like they couldn't do it because they worked or they were going to school or whatever and then they're like well here's this guy who's out there doing it so you know I think they kind of feel like they're um, coming along on a journey and that maybe it's making it like possible for them to try and do something really cool too. So I think it just kind of resonates with people, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think so. Like I was looking at some of your st- you're, you're a pre-med in college, right?
4: Yeah, so- unfortunately, yeah. It's pretty rigorous. <laughs> so
1: you're you're super fast, uh, you're super personable, and you're super smart.
4: Well,
2: I appreciate the compliments, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: that's really cool, man. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed with you, man. I think it's great. Um, you know, I think that the privateers uh, I've said this and I know, you know, Steve Mathis from pulp who I'm a fan of does a lot for the privateers, but the privateers are the backbone of this sport. You know, I mean, there can only be so many superstars quote unquote, but to have guys like you out there, like you said, the average Joe's guys that we can kind of almost, we can kind of relate to, um, is really cool. You know, I've got a lot of buddies, John shorts, a buddy of mine's privateer and, um, Zane Merritt, who uh, is a buddy of mine, and, you know, I love seeing you guys out doing this stuff, and uh, you're finding new ways to promote yourself, and that's it's cool, man. And I saw, you know, on your, your your latest video, you got uh you got back on Hondas, which I'm all for. I'm a Honda guy. Um, talk a little bit about that. I know you did in your video, but you were riding Huskies for a short time. Um, talk about that decision and how difficult was that to switch? One, not one, just only going from one brand to another, but from 450 to 250.
4: Yeah, I, I know I talked about it in a recent video, but yes. I'll just kind of go over it again. the my, my plan all along with the race, the Honda 250 at all the nationals, so all winter, and actually, you know, ever since 2010, I've been riding Hondas, so yes. super, super comfortable on the Hondas. We've never had issues with them before, um, but just this, this recent generation of 450 has been having some crazy, like,
2: problems,
4: um, so we were battling that all spring, I just couldn't keep couldn't keep coolant in the radiators, and we were blowing out like water pumps and stuff, or water pump seals, rather. And, uh, you know, we thought maybe it was like head gasket. We thought maybe just we need to upgrade the water pump or all this sort of stuff, and we were just trying everything, and we just couldn't keep coolant in the radiators. So that was kind of a worry um, this spring, but we weren't really too, too worried about it because the plan was to race the 250, which wasn't having coolant issues. Um, And all last year, I didn't have coolant issues with it either. Uh, but then, you know, parts availability is on the new Hondas. I think kind of because the Hondas kind of released their bikes pretty late in the year. So parts availability isn't great at the beginning of the, the year. Mm-hmm. So um it took a while to get the race motor built. So we got that back like late April, like three or four weeks before we were going to head out to High Point. And the first time I rode it, um, I think we they said something about like maybe a possible um, like malfunction, maybe piston or I don't know something broke off on the piston and clogged the oil feet to the head. So oh, obviously no. you can imagine what that did to the uh, race motor in yeah. like 20 minutes. It was completely fried. So um, we didn't really have time to get that fixed or rebuilt before we went out to uh, Hangtown. And I didn't really trust riding the Honda 450 because of those coolant issues. I mean, I was doing 15, 20 minute motos on a practice track and it was emptying the radiators. So, um, didn't really think it was going to last for two 35 minute motos on a pro national track. Um, so, really, the Husky was super last-minute, and it was really just because I rode my friend's KTM 450 and loved it, and we were like, well, the Husky's the same bike, and yeah, my dad is yeah. a long-time Husky rider. Like, back in the day, <laughs> he raced Huskies all the time. So, it was just kind of in the family, I guess. Sure. Um, but, yeah, so we made that really quick decision to do the Husky 450, because obviously getting a stock Husky 250 wouldn't have been competitive at all in the 250 class. Um so, the 450 just kind of made sense at the time, and we didn't really trust the Honda 450 to last through some pro motos. So, yeah, really last second, but it actually turned out being great because uh, the Husky like killed it with the stock bike, and we were able to qualify Colorado. So, yeah, it was tough getting used to it, but especially like the fact that we didn't really have a lot of time before we went out to Hangtown, so we were just running stock suspension, <laughs> stock motor, stock everything. Yeah, <laughs> it still qualified. the bars and the graphic, and so, yeah, that was pretty cool, I think. People like that story as well because, like I said, they kind of look at their bike and they're like, I don't know. They kind of compare their their bikes to like Tomax or Rox, sure. they're like, "Well, I'm riding a piece of crap." But then they're like, "Well, the stock bike went out there and qualified, so it must be pretty good, actually." Yeah, you, you
1: hear know? all yeah. the the big the factory guys like, "Oh, you know, I just you know I had to make you know I just the settings weren't right, or we made a bike change, or we did this, and you know we're always changing this." And then, you know, you got to have the the t- best forks, and you spend hours and hours testing. and Then you got a guy like yourself that goes out. On not, you know, you switch brands, you go from aluminum frame to a steel frame, totally stock. Uh, you're going to school and you can still go qualify for a national in the 450 class in the premier class. That's badass. <laughs>
4: well, thanks, man. It uh, it didn't feel badass out there, that's sure. so <laughs> I very, can imagine. Very poor. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, looking back on it, it's definitely something I can be uh, proud of. And, yeah. yeah, I mean. I think a lot of it is a mindset, you know, maybe it's not so much how your bike is handling, but how happy you are with your bike. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's a curse being one of those factory riders with all those different tools at your disposal. You know, you're you're always searching and always testing yeah. stuff. And for me, it's like I've pretty much just ridden stock bikes my whole life. So that's what I'm comfortable on and that's what I'm able to go fast on. So. Yeah, obviously it would be nice to have all those nice parts, but at the same time, it's what I'm comfortable on. So maybe that is what kind of helps me go fast on it. I'm not really sure.
1: I, I really, really like that theory, man, because that's I, I think there's a lot of truth there. Um, you, You've you mentioned your dad a few times and family. I mean, talk about that a little bit. You know, obviously you said he he used to ride. He was a Husky guy. Um, You know, you grew up going on the track with him. Talk about, like, his racing and how – how, how, what, at what age, first of all, did you get into it? And um, how was it growing up as a, you know, having a dad that ride mo- rode moto? My dad got me into it also. So tell me a little bit about your story.
4: Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, actually. My grandfather, so my dad's dad worked at Champion Spark Plugs. Okay. Um, he didn't actually race dirt bikes or anything or even ride them, but every now and then Champion um, Spark Plugs would send them their new spark plugs or whatever. And my grandfather, my grandfather would bring home, like, a, a Z50 or whatever, or an SL70 or whatever it was back in the day. Yeah. And um, my dad and his older brother uh, would just tear him around in the yard to test out these champion spark plugs. <laughs> so that's, that was their introduction into motocross. Um, and then, actually, my dad was pretty much a beast back in the day. Um, so at the Loretta's back in the day, it was just the Amateur National, and it circulated around, like, all the big tracks in the country. Um, and one year it came to Redbud and my dad actually got third in it. So, uh, he was a beast back in the day. And then, um, I didn't even really know all this because by the time I was born, he was kind of done racing because he did the whole med school thing and he went on to be an ER doc. So he didn't really have time to, he didn't really have time to do all that racing when we were born and everything. Right. And from what I understand, he didn't really want me and my older brother racing. So we never knew about all this uh, like history that he had in the sport until one day my uncle, my cool uncle, brought a PW fifty over to our house. And uh for for not wanting us to get into dirt bikes, my dad sure ha- uh lit a spark under him when that PW fifty showed up at our house. And that was just game over. We <laughs> were that's out on awesome. that all day, every day in the side yard ripping. And yeah, that's pretty much how it all started. So he, he rediscovered uh, it yeah exactly i mean i think he saw like you know how hard it is on your body and financially and everything when he was growing up and maybe he didn't want that burden on us but obviously you know once you race once you start racing motocross it's in your blood forever and i think he was definitely missing it so yeah pretty cool my or my uh, uncle brought the bike over and then the rest is history just started there there.
1: so
5: yeah so
4: i was
1: i was five when he brought that over okay so when you go make a national, like you know, qualify for a national now, um, is your dad has your is your dad able to make it many of these, or is he uh, is it you know is there can he make it make them, or is he working or not able to make it?
4: Yeah, so he's still in ER doc right now, so okay. he kind of has a flexible schedule where he can just like request the weekends off that he knows I'm going to be racing. Mm-hmm. So he makes it, to, uh, I'd say like 75 percent of them. There's oh, a couple great. of them that he couldn't make it to, like Colorado this year, he couldn't make it to. But most of the time, yeah, he's there. He loves it. Like. When I'm down in college all winter for uh, for like nine months or whatever, like I said, he's texting me every day, like, dude, like, how'd it to, how to go
2: today? Where are you going to ride awesome.
4: tomorrow? How's the bike go- doing and everything? So he's super into it. And actually my first year of college, um, they didn't want me to bring a bike down. Obviously they wanted me to just focus on grades and everything. And I kind of thought like I was done racing at that point, um, uh, professionally. And, uh, so I went nine months without riding a dirt bike. And then when I got home in the spring, uh, we went out and rode one time and he was like, well, you got a month and a half till red bud you want to race because if you don't i'm gonna go sponsor the kid down the road and we're going racing oh and nice I'll be like, Hell yeah, let's go race. that's awesome
1: i love it so, i love so it yeah
4: he's all about it he loves it
1: so uh this coming weekend uh ww ranch in florida i guess that's sort of a, a local race for you this year um what do you think man you've been what do you think about the ww track and what do you think about uh it getting a national this year
4: uh, I'm all about it, man. Yeah. Um, growing up, we lived in Michigan, yep. which is pretty much all sand. And then, you know, the, the other half of my life, I've been down in Florida, which is all sand. So hot sand, you know, I heard it's supposed to sprinkle a little bit on us. So I'm a good mud guy, too. Nice. Um, last year, I had my best result at Indiana, which was the down four. I got 11. So definitely a mud guy. I'm a sand guy. I'm a heat guy. So it's enough okay. to be a. Pretty pretty good weekend, and I also I got the chance to race that GP at Jacksonville, yeah. uh, at WW Ranch those two years ago. So kind of familiar with the track. I know they changed it all up, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it could be a great weekend for us.
1: Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I leave out Thursday. I'll be there, so I'm gonna come find you in the pits, and we'll do uh, we'll do a a YouTube uh, MotoXPod YouTube channel interview with you there. But um, yeah, the, I, I, you're kind of making me feel like this might be a week to pick you in fantasy.
4: Hey. Yeah, do it up, man. If they put me in 250 <laughs> class this weekend, I know, I think I was still in the 450 class in Fantasy uh, this past weekend at High Point. But, oh,
1: okay.
6: Well, yeah, yeah I-
4: feeling good. I mean, we'll have a lot of local supporters down there, because that's where I've been you know, riding for the past four years. So yeah. a lot of local boys are going to be down there. So yeah, it should be a pretty awesome weekend.
1: Will you get to ride press, or do you know yet?
4: Uh, yeah, actually, I just got accepted today to ride press day. Oh, so cool. That'll be well, awesome, too. Uh, yeah. Really, really thankful. Well, and uh, Michael Lindsay's is actually going to meet us out there. With he's got some surprises for us, some surprise goodies for the uh, Honda 250. So
1: awesome. should be
4: looking pretty good this weekend. Hell yeah! yeah. Get excited for that. Well, I'll <laughs> definitely,
1: I'll definitely see you Friday. I like Michael a lot. Um, yeah, so I'll be, I'll be looking for you. Uh, before I let you go, let me ask a little bit. You, you've mentioned your your girlfriend Bridget a few times. I've seen her on a couple of the videos. Um, did she know anything about motocross when you met her, and uh, how? You know, what was that like for the first time she saw you ride?
4: <laughs> no, she knew nothing about dirt bikes at all. I think uh, she had one experience riding her, her, like, brother-in-law's CR85 one time way back in the day, and uh, that was the extent of her motocross knowledge. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, we went to the same high school together up in Michigan. She played volleyball with my sister, and uh, obviously I would go to all the volleyball games to, like, cheer on my sister. and you know, she always, like, would catch my eye or whatever, and I just, I was like, hey, hey, Kelly, what's that girl's name over there? Like, let me get that phone number. Right, <laughs> So let me get them digits. So then I just kind of, yeah, I just kind of went from there, and then, uh, yeah, she, she is a huge motocross lover now, like, she follows all the, even if I'm not racing, like, during Supercross and stuff, she's always, like, texting me photos like oh cinturella's killing it or whatever so she yeah. she loves it this sounds like we my fiance just, we really well yeah it sounds like my fiance
1: she's like i i you know if i can't watch the race live i shut down social media because i don't want to know what happens and my chick's like yeah i've already looked to see who won and i couldn't wait <laughs> well
4: don't ruin it for find, me man but they're hard to find but yeah unicorns do exist <laughs> yeah that's
1: awesome man well hey uh, dude, it's really been cool talking to you and I, I cannot wait to meet you this uh Friday. I'll I'll definitely come find you in before qualify or before uh press and we'll visit, man. But um it's been really cool to have you on. I think your your YouTube channel's awesome. So I, I'm I'm very happy for you. You seem like a great dude.
4: Well thanks, man. I really appreciate you inviting me on. I think it's it's really cool, like You know, not only the YouTube thing, how it's taking off, but all these opportunities that it's, you know, presenting me and all these people that I'm getting to meet. So really cool. Looking forward to meeting you at uh, Jacksonville. And thanks for having me on, dude.
1: Absolutely. So everybody go, if you're not already following Jeff Walker on YouTube, go, go follow his YouTube channel. It's really badass. Um, Jeff, man, have a good rest of the week and I'll see you Friday.
4: Appreciate it, man. See you on Friday. Okay, bud. Have a good night. All
1: right, you too. Bye. All right. That's Jeff Walker at Jeff Walker 84 is his Instagram uh yeah cool kid man i like this kid so i say that about everybody i know but whatever i like just that that's I mean, to be in pre-med and racing at the professional level that's pretty uh, that, that's pretty special i think that's really cool all right so another commercial break and we will be back with scott jordan
0: hey kylie does your husband have to deal with leaking shafts no way kathy he uses shock socks the original and number one 10 second removable fork seal protector. Looks like the best way to keep grit and grime out of your fork seals. So if you don't want the headache and expense of constantly replacing fork seals, get Shock Socks. Go to shocksocks.com and visit them on Facebook to pick your color. And don't forget, they are available for street bikes too.
1: Dark side here. Are you guys in the market for a set of new custom graphics? Are you tired of the same old basic layouts the big box companies offer? Well, if so, then you need to check out MX Girl Designs. From custom graphic kits, stickers, reproductions, and even vintage, MX Girl does it all. Call or text Shar at 936 828 1472 or email Shar C-H-A-R, at mxgirl.com. And that's mxgirl, G U R L. And tell her Moto XPod sent you. What's up, Moto XPod listeners? This is Darkside, and as motocross racers, one of our top priorities is safety. That's why All Sport Dynamics wrist braces are one of my favorite products. All Sport Dynamics sees themselves as the Picasso of safety braces. Their passion for design and developing beautiful braces never stops. They've had the privilege to work with some of the largest names in the sports industry and have established a reputation for always bringing innovation to the table with every brace. For the pro chasing the championship or the six-year-old whose mom wants to avoid a broken bone, please try all sport dynamic wrist braces. Go to motocrosswristbrace.com or check out Instagram at wristbraceguy or call 936-569-1003 and ask for Jeff Brewer or Gary White. And keep in mind, these are the wrist braces that Justin Bogle, Joey Cevacci, Weston Pike, Adam Cianciarello, Matt Gurky, and Brock Tickleware in their pro careers. Check them out, all
3: sports, dynamic braces. Powerband Racing is a suspension company dedicated to providing best service and products. They are committed to developing new products and improve your ride. They want your suspension to be the best it can be. They're based out of Minneapolis and they're a WP authorized service center. And trusted by Ryan Sipes. Mini bikes to big bikes, they cover them all. Powerband Racing has your suspension covered. Contact them at 320-983-3400 and follow them on Facebook or Instagram.
1: All right, on the line with me right now is a, a voice that many of you have heard and probably didn't even realize who it was. Brought to you by Power Band Racing, a suspension company dedicated to providing the best service and products. They are committed to developing new products that improve your ride. Based out of Minneapolis, they are a WP-authorized service center entrusted by Ryan Sipes. Contact Powerband Racing at 320-983-3400 and follow them on Instagram. Like I said, on the line with me right now, Mr. Scott Jordan, who is the voice, the host of Monster Jam, the voice play-by-play, announcer for Monster Energy Supercross. Once again, Scott Jordan. What's up, dude?
5: Hey, man. How you doing, buddy?
1: Doing great, man. So, um, yeah, I got a chance to visit with you a couple weeks ago at Camp Makeup to Mud. So before we get into your uh, all, the, all the jobs you do for Feld and NBC, Monster Jam, all that, uh, talk a little bit about Camp Makeup to Mud and what that event was like for you.
5: Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, first time, you know, they, they put that together. Uh, so, uh, you know, Global Partnerships reached out to me to come and host it. and It just was uh, an incredible place for people to come and just ride. We were out at a cycle cycle ranch in uh, I think in Floresville, Texas. Yep. So, you know, we've had we had 14 make up to mud athletes there, and all season long at Supercross, we followed their journeys. You know, we played the videos. We had them come out and. Uh, they were on Race Day Live and things along that line. So basically, you know, the premise of this camp was any anybody uh, amateur rider uh, that that owns a Toyota could just kind of show up, uh, and everything was was covered. They just had to pay for camping expenses if they wanted to stay on site, and then they had to pay, um, I believe, just for a hotel if they wanted to stay out, out there. But I think the camping actually was included. But I mean, it was, yeah, think so. it was just this gi- gigantic track, and all these people came out. Toyota covered the cost of everything. Seld was involved in that. Uh, and everybody just kind of got together and rode these tracks. They had the tracks for new riders, uh, you know, intermediate, beginners, and then you know, experienced riders. And we had some some pros out there riding as well. So just it, everyone from uh, someone that that had never set foot on a bike before uh, to you know, pro riders that were out there. You know, talking to everybody. Weston Pike was out there. Uh, it just was an, uh, an unbelievable gathering, uh, and to be a part of that with something special, especially in the first year. And I believe we're already going to gear up to do it again next year. So looking forward to year number
1: two. Yeah, I was told they uh, they signed a contract for two more years, I think, at Cycle Ranch. So that that is awesome. I, I look forward to doing it again. Um, yeah, it, it was really cool, like you said, to, to see families. like um, Mothers bring it. Uh, there was a couple moms that I interviewed that brought, like, two or three of their kids. And some of them had never been on a motorcycle. Maybe their son had rode a little bit but the moms got involved, got geared up from fly racing and all learned how to ride dirt bikes. Very, very cool event for sure. Absolutely. So let's talk about a little bit about what you do, man. So you are the the host of Monster Jam. Um, so I, I assume, is that, do you do the live announcing at those events too? To be honest, I've never been to a Monster Jam. I've got to make that, change that next year.
5: Sure. i um- yeah, well, all season long for live events, all year long. I was with Supercross up until uh, the championships, mm-hmm. and then I was still doing Monster Jam television. And then now I, I am transitioned back into Monster Jam live events. So we were just uh, just did one last weekend, uh, and we were in Kansas City for the first time at Arrowhead Stadium. And then this weekend coming up, we're in Nashville. Uh, so I, I get to go back and forth, man. It's a it's a, it's a great job because I, I love Monster Jam. It's where I started with Feld. Uh, but I love Supercross too, so yeah. I don't have to choose which one I like better. I do both.
1: <laughs> how does that How does that come about? How do you become the voice, the the announcer? Uh, you know, uh, I mean, are you doing announcing at like amateur level somewhere, and they discover you, or how does that work?
5: Uh, to be honest with you, no, man. I, I never even thought about it. I I went to an audition a few years back. Uh, they were in Orlando, where I live, and it's uh, just an audition and decided to give it a shot and I got hired as a, as a behind-the-scenes pit reporter and went on tour and then just kind of worked my way up into, you know, the, the stadium championship series and then I started calling in Monster Cups for Supercross and then went on to Monster Energy Supercross and then this year Monster Jam moved from FS1 to NBC Sports Network and they were looking for a, a new host just to give it a different look and
4: yeah.
5: uh, they they brought me in to do that. So uh, it's just been an incredible three-year ride to be a part of that. And now to be involved in both uh, major motorsports itself, and the game, it's just awesome.
1: It really is. It's really cool to see that. And, and uh, you know, I, I got to do a bunch of the Supercrosses this year and uh, heard, heard you, and uh, it seems like you're doing a fantastic job. Um, is that something that's difficult when you're having to, I I don't know how much experience you have with Supercross in the past, like knowing the riders and and knowing the numbers and like the information, things are happening very fast. Um, you know, and people over the years, they make, they, there's always people joking or giving the, you know, hard on the announcers, hard on the television announcers when mistakes are made. But I mean, you know, it's not, it's not an easy job. It's not just like, it's not scripted. You're doing this live, you're play by play, you're. You're calling names out. I mean it it's gotta be difficult. Um how do you like how do you learn all that to begin with? Learn the names and the numbers, do you memorize that stuff or you just kinda play it by play it you know, by ear?
5: Oh man, actually it's kind of uh, thrown for the wolves a little bit and, and the voice that you're hearing on the other end here is my six month old daughter, uh, Ivy, who has decided to not cooperate with Daddy being on the show. That's but, fine. Um, no, it's it's uh, I I followed Supercross for a very long time. I've been to a lot of events. You know, I watched the show, so I was from, I was very familiar with, you know, the, the writers and the storylines. Not some of the newer writers, um, you know, but I, I was very much you know a fan in the era of the Ryan Dungey and Jeremy McGrath and right. the photo of Chad Reed and James Stewart. Uh, so that's kind of where my bread and butter was. So when the opportunity came up to call the Monster Cup a couple of years ago, uh, they you know I, I basically had to kind of tell everybody, oh, this is my experience with supercross this is what i know and uh they gave me the job it was just almost like being thrown to the world a little bit i got i got a rider sheet uh with everybody you know names numbers sponsors where they're from you know kind of their history and uh went with it, ran with it so uh,
1: yeah
5: yeah, it's just, yeah that that was kind of how i got started and then this year with with supercross um, i didn't realize the amount of time that just kind of went into the play-by-play role i mean i'm I'm the first voice that people hear at eleven o'clock in the morning, and I'm on the air until ten o'clock
2: at
1: night. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a long day. I mean, people don't realize, you know, like I get there. I always get there early, um, just because I'm kind of a dork, and I get there and I give donuts to all the teams. So I'm usually there like around eight thirty in the morning, and yeah, like you say, you're there till the the show ends around ten o'clock local time. Uh, you know, and it's yeah. you know at least the main part of the show, and you probably still have duties after that. And yeah, it's a long day, but it's a fun day for sure.
5: It's a super fun day. And, and for me, you know, I get to call practice and qualifying. Right. And, you know, I, I, I get to tell those stories throughout the day. And that's that's the, my favorite part of the job is just literally seeing, you know, that the riders evolve from practice and learning the track and, you know, learning the ruts and everything to, to the final heats in the, in the main events, just seeing that day unfold. For me, that's pretty cool.
1: Right. Uh, and, you know, Daniel Blair is a buddy of mine. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure you've had some interactions with him Um. Please tell me you have a story where we can make fun of Daniel. Do you have anything, any dirt on Daniel?
5: <laughs> no, you know, I met Daniel for the first time at the Monster Cup. He was the uh, the only you know non Monster Jam announcer that was calling that. So he helped me a lot. So I don't have any dirt on on Daniel. I, I've only seen him you know in a professional capacity, and he's been nothing but helpful. Right. But I will. T- I tell you what. I, I will make it a goal of mine. Uh, next season to try and get some dirt on Daniel Blair, so you can bring Let's me back it. On and we'll make fun of
1: him. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I always <laughs> like to have dirt. I love to bust his balls. Um, I had uh, Juliana Daniel the first time I met her. She she gave me a story about walking into Race Day Live and and seeing that Daniel and Jim Holly were the same height, and she knew that wasn't right. So she walked around and <laughs> and Daniel was standing on the box barefoot. And uh, yeah, so as soon as she, I got done with the interview, I sent him that clip. And uh yeah, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. <laughs> so yeah,
5: that's awesome, man.
1: tell me tell me the difference in announcing Supercross and Monster Jam. I I mean Monster Jam is huge. Those things sell out. Um it's it's a different type of I I'd say it's probably a similar crowd, but there's I think it's a little different. It's it's you know motocross. You have a ton of motocross rider like local guys that ride motocross and that grew up riding motocross and they go and they know the sport. Monster Jam, I think, is probably a lot more families um, that maybe they clearly don't drive monster trucks. You know, on, on the weekends. Um, tell me the difference in what you see with the crowds and the difference in announcing the two.
3: Well,
5: I mean, as far as the crowd goes, you, you hit it right on the nail. Uh, it's uh, Supercross. You see a lot of, you know, young riders, male and female, there with Monster Jam. It's, it's a family event. Uh, so you see a lot of the families coming in, you know, kids just head to toe Monster Jam gear, just huge fans of it with the, the big toys, Supercross. Yep. You know, uh, you see a lot of of just these, these amateur riders coming and kids coming in that that love the sport and want to be around it and want to do it. So that's definitely the difference in the crowd. As far as the announcing goes, um you know with, with Monster Jam, you know being on television, uh, obviously it's more fun of the camera work. I think it's super cross. I'm only on camera for about, you know, 3 minutes. So yeah. I I don't have to I don't have to make sure every every piece of hair on my head is in place <laughs> and uh you know stuff like that. But the the announcing style, I, I try not to I try not to change it too much. I want to be consistent across the board. I try to call Monster Jam and Supercross the same way. Uh, just, you know, be authentic and, you know, deliver that to the crowd. If they're excited, I need to, you know, portray that through my voice. So I, I just try to call it the same way. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to be that, you know, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday right, guy. Right, right. That's not, that's not what we do anymore. But, you know, they're, I, I keep it at a, at, a, at a solid, you know, tone and then, you know, when I need to bring it up, I bring it up. When I need the crowd to get up on their feet, I'm not afraid to to let that happen. But I, I try to keep it consistent, man. Do the okay. same style across the board.
1: The only thing with what you do that I I wish I could see improved is the the sound systems at stadiums. Um, <laughs> they're not yeah. they're not up to par with technology. Uh, you know, maybe at least that's in my mind, you know, you, I think that sound technology should be better than what you hear at a stadium, but maybe just the, the, the dynamics of what the, you're dealing with in a stadium that size is almost impossible to overcome. But, you know, it's, it's hard to hear sometimes what's being said over the crowd and um, it, you know, and, and it gets bled out. And I think, you know, you're doing a job and you're doing a good job and you're hyping it up. I wish we could hear you a little better when in the heat of the moment.
5: Yeah, no, that's definitely a, an issue that we talk about throughout the year, and there's not much we can do about it. Every, you know, every stadium we go to has a, a different sound system. In yeah. the previous week, for for instance, in Kansas City last weekend, I mean, this is a, it's, it's a beautiful stadium. Everybody, you know, it's super nice and super talented. But when you know we showed up for Monster Jam, and they basically told us, you know, this stadium isn't really built for anything other than football, as far as sound systems go. And um, I mean, we they only had a few wireless mics and I was kind of tethered to, you know, a a mic up in the concourse. So yeah, there there are struggles there. And we just try to overcome that the best we can. Um, I mean, when the, when the bikes are are revving and and loud, there's not much we can do, uh, but we just, we just got to keep talking.
1: Yeah. Okay. Now, so you mentioned you're, you're six month old. Um, you're, you're a a married man. Uh, How many kids do you have? I
5: have three kids. My oldest is, uh, three years old. And then I have, one that will be two in August and then six month old. Wow. So I'm, you know, I, uh, <clears throat> my wife is is superwoman and supermom, uh, cause I'm, I'm gone.
1: Yeah. You know,
5: Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and she takes care of the kids. And tonight, you know, she's working late, so I've got all three of them. And it, it's not easy. It is the, the greatest joy in the world, but it's also the greatest challenge out of, uh, you know, you have trying to get three kids under the age of three, uh, you know, in in bed and wrangled up and fed and all that. So it's it's wonderful being a father. And yeah. I start, you know, I got to that point late in the game, but I'm I'm super blessed to to have three beautiful baby girls.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, you know, it's cool that your your fine your family dynamic is strong enough that yeah you know, she that's it's not easy when you leave for a weekend for three or four days like that. That's no. not easy on a fa- but um you know I, I think it's really cool that she's supportive and you know uh, congratulations on the three kids. That's awesome. Um, let, let me ask about your, your future goals. Um, you know, sure. and I, I know you love what you do. You do. You, you made that very clear when we talked at, uh, can't make up to mud, but, uh, I would assume maybe there, do you have any aspirations of doing it like, uh, anything else, any other sports, any, uh, any other kind of announcing, um, you know, not throwing you under the bus with your bosses, but even sure. da- Daniel yeah. Blair said, Hey, I want to do football one day. You know, do you have yeah. any, uh, you know hopes and dreams of that kind of stuff
5: uh, I, w- I would love to I, I never even in a million years would have dreamt that motorsports was something i would be heavily involved in and three years ago right. you know that happened and now i'm here so I, I would love nothing more than for next year to you know come back for another year of supercross come back for another year of monster jam on nbc uh and just see where life takes me but yeah of course i have aspirations i mean i you know, i I would love to, you know, as Daniel said, make it to the NFL. Man, I mean, I'm a huge Baltimore Ravens fan. I would love to, you know, take a shot at doing something with them. WWE is something that would be, oh, cool, yeah. Uh, I think amazing. Um, I've got two friends that work there, but I know the travel schedule that they have is, is brutal. So I'm not sure that, you know, at this stage of the game with, with three young children, yeah. I'd be able to do that. But you know, there, there are definitely some things I would like to. Uh, off the list. I would love a stab at you know motocross, Lucas Oil Motocross. I would love to get involved there somehow. Um, but anything that any opportunity that comes up, it would be hard for me to say no. Sure. To play by play, especially for motorsports.
1: That, that's cool. And just going back to something you said a second ago, your your Ravens stole a Super Bowl from my Niners, man.
5: <laughs> I know, man. That's the night that the lights went out. Yes, you know? it is. Uh, but and, uh, man, it's. Uh... <laughs> Uh, kept me on the edge of my feet that night. Man. Yeah, We were up so, so huge. I thought we was in the bag. Then the lights went out and Kaepernick yep. went nuts. And man, that last play, I just, I had so many emotions in about a, a 60 second period. For me. Oh,
1: no doubt. Now, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, look, the 49ers have never lost a Super Bowl. They're not going to start now, but <laughs> yeah. they did. But hey, as long as you're not a Cowboys fan, I, we're cool. That's That's the only thing I can't tolerate mm. is a Cowboys fan.
5: Never, but they have. I think the most beautiful stadium I've ever been
1: to. Yeah, it's nice, no doubt. It makes me yeah. sick every time I go there because I don't want to like. <laughs> I don't want to like it, and it's my it's my local stadium. I'm two hours from there. And um, I, I feel
5: that way about Foxborough and Gillette yeah, Stadium, man. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Every time I go <laughs> to hot. Cowboy Stadium, when you go up to the press box, there's this huge picture of. Um, Man, I I don't remember what. uh, Maybe it's uh, Leon Led, or or it's one of the old Cowboys linebackers standing over um, Steve Young. Steve Young laying on his ass, and I just can't. It kills me. (laughs) Yeah, makes me angry every time. But uh, salt in the wound every time you. Yes, it it is. I can't let it go. Like everybody's like, man, that was the nineties. Let it go. I'm like, no. Man,
5: as football fans, you can't let anything go. Absolutely not. it's it's our God given right as a fan, to not have to get, let anything go.
1: A hundred percent. Well, Scott, man, I'm going to let you get back to your family. I really appreciate you spending some time with us and giving us a chance to to hear your story a little bit.
5: It was an absolute pleasure, man. I look forward to seeing you uh, next Supercross season, and I will yep. do my best to get some Daniel Blair dirt for you.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Let's get him. We need to. Yeah, we got to mess with him a little bit. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks, Scott. You got it, buddy. All right. See you. Bye scott jordan uh yeah he's he's a really nice guy like i said i got to spend some time with him at camp make up to mud um visiting with him just a little bit and you know watching what he did live there and uh, he he did some stuff with weston pike and jordan jarvis and uh, a couple professional snowboarders that came in check him out at at scott jordan mjsx on instagram Uh, all right we'll take our last break of the night and we'll be back with uh dave nichols from bolt motorcycle hardware Right, next up, brought to you by Fly Racing. Since 1998, Fly Racing has been focused on developing the best gear possible. Uh, In 2019, Fly Racing will be a title sponsor of Supercross and supporting riders like Zach Osborne, Weston Pike, Blake Baggett, and even Damon Bradshaw. Go to flyracing.com for all your info or go to your local dealer and see all the products that Fly Racing has to offer. On the line with me is Mr. Dave Nichols, owner of Bolt Motorcycle Hardware. What's up, Dave? Not much. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Uh, really stoked to get you on the line, um, man. For years, you know, I've seen your products and catalogs. I've seen your logos uh, on, you know, different riders' bikes, supporting guys like Weston Pike, the Integnaps, uh, Clint Lund of London, MX, You know, promotes you all the time. I've ordered some of your parts, and finally, in the last couple of weeks, I've had a chance to visit with you a little bit. And um, I just wanted to get you on the show. Tell us about your story.
6: Yeah, I appreciate it. Um yeah, our product's really simple, but everybody needs it and <laughs> so it definitely it definitely gets out there. Um yeah, we 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 try to be involved with racing, especially at the privateer level. You know, all the T P J guys yep. use our stuff. The Rouse brothers are using our stuff, um Stank Dogs using our <laughs> stuff, Hothaker racing builds his engines with
4: all our stuff. So
6: it's we, we don't do like the titanium, the super expensive stuff you might find like on a factory bike right we do we do the every rider's you know zinc plated nut and bolt to keep things running smooth and keep things together
1: yeah i i can't tell you how often i dig into my pro kit for my crf you know man well i just dropped a bolt somewhere can't seem to find it let's go get another one um (laughs) yeah so the, the thing is I mean, the kit's amazing. I've been using it. It has so much good stuff in there. I mean, from chain adjuster bolts to sprocket bolts to, I mean, just pretty much any, almost everything you can think of, um, other than like maybe, uh, you know, engine mounts and that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's uh, fantastic.
2: We we, we design them
6: based on what you're really going to be using. Yeah. And we're super careful not to put things in the kit that there's barely you know, little likelihood you'll use it because it drives the price of the kid up. Sure. So we try to we try to keep the price at a reasonable cost while including everything you're going to need when you're doing trackside repairs or building a set of wheels, right? You, you deal with wheels a lot. So you've got rotor bolts, rocket bolts. Um, we got all your body panels covered because you're taking those on and off a lot and um, and a lot of your chassis bolts. If you're doing a... A full engine teardown. You would order one of our engine rebuild kits, which would have all the fasteners for your engine. But all those fasteners may not be included in uh, in the pro pack. So yeah. that's kind of that's kind of our brand. We hope that when you're done with our kit, it's empty. You didn't buy anything. <laughs> you didn't buy anything you didn't need. Yeah. And you had everything you did need. And that's what I like to see is empty boxes, and they come back from more Because that means we did our homework. And you know, it all started when I was a kid working on my 86 CR 125 and I was one of those kids that would just, you know, I was probably in junior high school and I would, I, I lived a couple hours away from a riding area. Mm-hmm. So I had to beg rides from my parents to get me out there, which wasn't very often. So if I couldn't go riding, I would just tear down the bike and I would go through every nut and bolt in the bike. And, um, and every once in a while I needed fasteners and they were hard to get. Or I'd have to go to my Honda dealer. Yep. Um, then, as, you know, these days you'd go to the brick and mortar store, they would order it for you if they didn't have it. And then they would get it in for you, have to call you to say it's in. And, you know, it was like a 95 cent bull. And sure. so, um, as I grew into adulthood, I saw that that was a problem for the dealer, right? Because that tra- they didn't make any money on that transaction. And it's a problem for the writer because if, you know if there was something he could just have on hand fasteners aren't that expensive it should be reasonable able to keep in the toolbox and be able to do these repairs and so yeah the the wheels started getting turning you know when i'm a 13 year old kid in junior high trying to keep this 125 together and our first product was a little clear box called a track pack yeah and um that's I'm telling you, when I was 13 years old, I saw that product in my head, and I said, if I could just have this little box in my toolbox to get me out of a pinch, that's, and that was their first product.
1: That's so interesting because it shows the difference in personalities because at 13 – I was stripping bolts left and right when I was putting bikes back together, and I would go dig in my dad's bolt drawer, which, of course, he didn't have anything metric. It was all standard, so I'd have to retap stuff. You know, I was just a dumb kid. I was trying to get my bike back together. Yeah, and I never once yeah. thought, wow, I wish I had a, a track pack. I, I wasn't that smart, clearly. <laughs>
6: well maybe maybe it was greed i don't
1: know i saw something about that myself yeah there's, some people are built for um, inventions and and you know businesses and um, others are just like me are built to support those businesses i guess but yeah yeah it, it takes all
6: kinds
1: yeah let's let's go back a little bit before that though you talked about you know as a kid riding i mean like where did your love for dirt bikes and motorcycles in general come from
6: Well, I grew up in California, in Santa Cruz, California, and uh, I come from a family of surfers. They were all surfers. My brother was a professional surfer. Uh, We were surfing as much as we could, and I just, what it was, actually, I saw um, a race on television on on Wide World of Sports when I was a kid, I remember watching Danny Magoo and David Bailey burning around in Carlsbad on TV. And uh, it was a super bikers and top. And um, it just absolutely blew my mind. I'd never seen anything like it. And I remember these guys just looked like superheroes yeah. on these dirt bikes because they're going 100 miles an hour. They're jumping through the air. <laughs> and uh, as soon as I was old enough to mow lawn and save up money, I got one of those dirt bikes. I got a KX80. And um, and I was just hooked. And so I was a bit of an oddball in my family because then I go to the beach and I'm trying to hitch rides through the trap.
1: That's and, funny. Um, yeah, it's kind of there's some similarities to with your childhood in mind. Then I mean, my dad, I mean, my dad surfed a little bit, but he he rode motorcycles also. But I grew up around both of those type of things, you know. And uh, I was a military brat. My dad was in the Navy, so I, I was born in San Diego, uh, and we would yeah. go like to Dumont and um, uh, you know some of the other places out in the desert. And then we would go. Then we moved to Hawaii, and I would surf and ride dirt bikes. So. Yeah, there's a, there's some similarities there. Um, I I didn't choose dirt bikes over uh, surfing necessarily, but uh, it, it took a while before I actually I kind of discovered motocross probably in the '80s. I think I was you know late '80s, like '87, '88 ish. But yeah. I grew up riding dirt bikes though. Just didn't know anything about motocross. And I kind of like you. I saw I think Wardy and RJ like at Carlsbad on one of those Wide World of Sports and instantly I was a Jeff Ward fan and I, I think I was riding like a, a Suzuki at the time or a Yamaha. I can't even, I think it was a Yamaha. My dad bought me a YZ 80, but I had like Kawasaki pants cause I wanted to be Wardy and yeah, so <laughs> totally clueless. Like, I mean, I, I would absolutely be made fun of if I went to the track like that today. But, uh, so yeah. how, and then how did you transition from just, you know, riding and, and then, and then, like you said, you kind of came up with this idea at 13, but how did you transition to that into an actual product into a business
6: well so it went from introduction to motocross to racing and and I, I raced up we used to do a lot of bounty hunter series I used to be in los banos california and that was like my big series i'd do the whole thing every summer and and you know you get into like the intermediate classes and then your buddies get faster yeah and about the time it's time to go throw, um, i realized that to go that fast you kind of had to have a screw loose <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah okay and my my buddies that were stepping it up i was just looking at him like you're nuts and so i was a good intermediate but i just wasn't pro material so my dad is a machinist ah. um, my grand my grandfather was a machinist and i became a machinist and um we me, my dad and i were building motors in his machine shops and so i loved I connected, you know, the machine shop to motorcycles quickly. Cause he was balancing cranks and machine parts for me and my motors and making them work better. And so I went into the, uh, the machine shop and that's where I was working for many years. And there was this, you know, in my head, you know, I looked around at all the billet parts, which was what I naturally would have made. And I'm like, there's so many guys doing that and there's so many guys doing it well. Yeah. Um, i gotta do something different i gotta find a niche i gotta find an angle to really get into this industry because it was it's my passion, even though I couldn't go throw um it was my passion you know sure and, um, and so fasteners, which are really relatively very simple compared to what I'm used to doing in the machine shop where uh, I found that that niche and I jumped in and i borrowed i took a, a equity loan out on my house and i it was is oh three we started the company and it's funny if any of your listeners ever thought they had an idea, maybe they wanted to start out this, they might appreciate this. I thought if I made a really cool product, all the distributors would pick it up and I would be in the big show right away. Yeah,
1: yeah, of course.
6: And it just doesn't work that way, which was a little disappointing. So it took time. Uh, None of the distributors wanted it. They all said it was an awesome product. Um, Speaking of the track pack, which I said was my first product. Right. You see them on the parts counter all the time. Um, and they all told me I did a great job, but if nobody knows about it, they don't want to sell it. They only want products that people are asking for.
1: Wow, and, that's interesting. Um,
6: so they turned me down. And um, so I just had to start going to dealers and placing them myself, which ended up being traveling across the country, placing these little boxes of track packs on parts counters. Um I knew the idea would work eventually because the parts guys loved them and they sold through them like crazy. But nobody would distribute me. So literally, if I saw, you know, a couple of days I could take off work, I'd find a cheap plane ticket somewhere and I'd just fly to, to San Antonio, Texas. Never been there in my life. I'd fly there with some literature and go and, and go into shops and ask them if they'd buy it. So the end of that story is, after a few years, all the distributor reps see that they're in all the dealers because of the legwork I've been doing, and um, then the distributors came back and said, "Please let us carry the product." And, and now we're in all the major distributors. But anyways, anybody that ever had this, this you know, has a product they think they that that they'd like to do in this industry, you gotta you gotta do the hard work first. Uh, there, it's good; it pays off. And the distributors, once you're with them and you support them, they're great to work with. But you're going to have to do the heavy lifting before before that happens.
1: Yeah, that shows a tremendous amount of, of initiative and balls to go do that. I mean, just to jump on a plane and go to it. Because, I mean, you go to fly to San Antonio and go to four or five dealerships, and if nobody wants it, that's just a waste, that's a waste of time and money.
6: Well, there were some days on the road where, you know, I'm far away from home, I, and I just would have to call my wife. Who's processing the orders back at home? She doesn't. Yeah, I mean, there was some hard days. Sure. There were also killer days, though. Like Southern California, the, the first dealer I ever got in was Escondido Cycle Center in Southern California, and that's a huge shop. And um, the parts manager was so cool, so supportive, really pumped on the product, bought it from me, gave me advice. So there was also days where you're just you're there, it's just affirmation, you know? Yeah. Like, I yeah. had this idea. I spent all my money on it, and this dude who knows what he's talking about is on board with me, and so you have really good days, too.
1: What about, I mean, I know most of the factory teams, they're using tie and stuff like that, but um, do you get any kind of connection with those guys when they, you know, do you have any connection with the factory teams or even just the OEMs? Do the OEMs use you for anything, or do they do their own deal?
6: Um, Well, like all of our Euro, we call them Euro- products because ktm's trademarks but that that actually all that all those products came about from working with ktm okay um we did a deal we were doing a deal to private label their bolt kit and um we designed it for them uh we have a disagreement i thought my design was better they wanted to change it and we went our separate ways okay and um and our bolt kit outsells theirs any day we did do a better job um and so we have collaborations like that. Um, some of the tooling, uh, we use has been like, uh, KTM Fort guard bolts actually come from our tooling that we developed. And so there is crossover on things like that, but there's no like outward collaboration or anything like yeah. that. Um,
1: well, that's, that's still pretty cool that you, I mean, you know, you had this dream, you had this, um, uh, goal, and it sounds like for the most part you've met your goal, I and mean, you have a lot of products. I mean, like I didn't really realize until I went to your website uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was I got this ninety nine Honda CR two fifty that you're kind of helping me out with, and I was like kind of want to see what all you had, man. I, I was really I didn't have any idea that you had, you know, individual. You have like a, your your plastic kit, you know, your bolts for all your plastic for the different bikes. You have. Uh, stuff for the wheels. You have stuff for street bikes, ATVs, all kinds of stuff.
6: Yeah, the 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 catalog has gotten big. It's, yeah, it's a lot of inventory. I mean, we got ten thousand square foot warehouse just full of bolts. <laughs> um, and uh, it it's exceeded my expectations. I still love, I still love my job. I yeah. love the industry. I love the people I meet, even people from a totally different walk of life than me. Like, if you're a motocross guy like we get each other on some level, you know. And I, I really love my customers and the industry. It's 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 not a very big industry, really. I mean sometimes it feels big, but in reality it's a very small industry and it's it's pretty tight knit actually. It is,
1: it is I always say it's like a family, you know, and I I'm I know there's those guys out there, I say this a lot on our show. There's all these you hear the stories of the tools, the 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 buttholes, the assholes, whatever you want to say, out there. But <laughs> I haven't, I honestly have not come across anybody in the industry that's just like has been a dick to us. Everybody's very seems to be very friendly as long as you're cool to them. They seem to be pretty cool so far.
6: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And and if you're really, I say motocross rider because I'm not talking about weekend warriors. Yeah. No. I'm talking about guys that no matter what, they're going to have some connection to motocross like me and so many other people. And, um, I think part of the reason this can be tight knit is because everybody knows if you're a motocross rider, you're going to be on hard times now and again.
1: <laughs> true, and, um, true. You know,
6: you got to kind of look out for each other and help where you can. And, and uh, I remember even when I was a kid, I would be racing on bald tires because I had no support. My, my dad helped me in the machine shop, as I mentioned, but he didn't go to the races or pay for anything. Okay. And, um, and you know the kids with the motorhome and the and all the bikes and the dad wrench and they would give me their takeoff tires and I remember that was just so cool that their dad would you know see I was running a bald tire and think of me and come give me a takeoff which was a way better tire and and uh, I've always I've always enjoyed that aspect of the motocross community and and it's brutal too I mean sometimes and then his kid will take you out the next weekend right so. right yeah
1: <laughs> yeah well that's just that's you gotta you gotta separate the actual on track part sometimes from the rest of it. Cause even when you're competing, you're competing and you know, people kind of act crazy sometimes, but off the track most of the time, it's, it's just hanging with your buddies. I mean, that's really what it comes down to.
6: Yeah. Yeah. no, it's It's a great community. And yep. I'm, I feel super fortunate that I, I am able to make a living in it. And there's not a whole lot of people that can't. And uh, I wasn't able to make a living riding. Some of my buddies <laughs> who went on to be pro, you know, like I had close friends like Nathan Woods and other guys, you know, rest in peace, that is such a hard way to make a living, riding a dirt bike. Um, it's it's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and you give up a lot of flesh for that. And yeah. So at the end of the day, I feel super fortunate that I was able to uh, to find a way to make a living in the industry and um, and not go through some of that hardship that those guys go through. And that's why I, I, I have so much respect for them. I mean, they're warriors, guys that line up in supercross and motocross at the professional level are full on warriors and I have a huge respect for them.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, talk about when like a a new model bike comes out, most of the hardware is probably very similar, but there's always those few specialty bolts that have a funny little collar on them or, or something. Um, how do you go through a bike and you know, then you decide, you know, what parts you're going to make and how, I mean, how do you tool something like that?
6: well, so nowadays, it's gotten really complicated. When we started in '03, most of the bikes were, were really universal. It was mm-hmm. easy. Um, if I had to start from zero today, I don't know that I could do it. Uh, we're able to do it because we have so much momentum from years past. So, okay. Like today, just today, I saw the new KX250 came out. Yep. And so uh, I, I start looking over those, and of course, a lot of the stuff is going to be what we already know from the year before. But they might change, you know, like a seat bolt. Um, the new, the new KX450 came out last year, all they really changed was the seat bolt. They had everything else in stock, and so uh, I just, I just have to develop tooling for that new seat bolt and um, and and bring it into inventory. And that's why I said, you know, we've grown to like 10,000 square feet of warehouse space, just keeping all this stuff, because now there's a different collar or shoulder seat bolt for every brand and there's more brands now too because we got husky which is a totally legitimate brand so there's actually more brands you need to service now and um so we we just we just keep an eye on it and we try to trickle it in as they develop and and when they say an all new model on a dirt bike it doesn't mean all new fasteners they're the same fasteners for the most part they might throw in a a different seat bolt or a different shroud bolt but for the most part once you're up to speed you can maintain it fairly easily
1: that's cool yeah like i go through i have a 15 honda and a 06 honda and like i I go you know i'm taking the forks off or whatever so i got to break the axle pinch bolts you know on one bike they're like 10 millimeter and the other bike they're 12 millimeter like damn it come on can you stay consistent i mean really it's not that big of a deal when i'm working on it but I, i think about stuff like that when i'm working on it like why i wonder why they changed that you know, what's the purpose? How do they decide what's going to change? And, you know, but, and, and for a guy like you, it's kind of like when I talked to little D or, um, the guys at Yosh. I'm like, man, every year you got to retool this. You got to, you got to rethink the whole, you know, your, whatever it is you're making, you have to sometimes almost start over and, and, and it's gotta be and not so much probably for you. Cause like you say, a lot of the bolts are universal, but there's always going to be that one or one or two items that you've got to rethink and redo. And, You got to get on the ball fast, I would assume.
6: You do the what? The last one, the the new Suzuki that had quite a few new bolts on it. We had to bring in, I think, three items, which is a lot for a new model. Okay, but you know, it is a bummer because I used to look forward to new bike season, you know, (laughs) see what they came out with. Yeah. Now now I'm like, oh shoot, the new bikes are coming out. We got to get back to work.
1: Right. Well, let's talk about (laughs) the sport of Supercross and Motocross in general. What do you think about it? 2019 supercross was amazing uh all three series east west and the 450 class so much great competition so much great racing and uh, you know so far i've been pretty happy with the outdoors also
6: yeah the racing's been great i love the fact that they've been changing up you know winners there's been a yep. lot of back and forth on that and like a, you know like I think I think cuz Ken Rockson is is coming back from some gnarly injuries. Otherwise, we would've seen a lot of dominance. So I like seeing it get mixed up. Uh, it's a bummer for Ken Roxon and you know Eli Tomac was about to be on a roll when he went down on his Honda, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like been,
6: it's it's a bummer for those guys, but I think for the fan it's I mean it's not good for anybody to get hurt, but you know what I mean, the racing, it's good as a fan to watch the different uh different guys battle it out and exchange, uh, wins. I, I love it. And I love it. And then you got guys like, like, uh, you know, bag it, or like guys that can come out of nowhere and mm-hmm. win one. And yeah. I, I love watching that. I too. I, was uh, like, I grew up, I grew up in the McGrath years, you know, yep. when he was king and I, I actually wasn't a McGrath fan cause I was like, man, he makes it boring. I want to see another guy lead a race, you know, cause he was so dominant.
1: Yeah. I kind of got that way until Ricky started dominating. Then I wanted McGrath back. I, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't know why that was, but I, you know, yeah, I, I, you, you sound like you're probably pretty close to, to age. I'm four, I'm about to be 44. I don't know how old you are, but yeah, I'm, I'm 43. Like, okay. So, yeah, same era. Yeah. I, my actual first supercross was uh, that I went to was 1990 Anaheim. Uh, so yeah, I saw McGrath on the, you know, Team Peak, Splitfire, Hondas. And, yeah. Uh, that that was like kind of my introduction to it, watching Guy Cooper uh, at towards the end of his you know years, and um, yeah, when Ricky came around, I was like, no man, McGrath is our guy. What what's going on here? And I couldn't quite wrap my brain around it.
6: Yeah, back then I was always I was riding Kawasaki's. Okay. Like Jeff Matasovich, because I was in. that type of kid. I, I wanted to show up to the race in the flannel and, <laughs> win, and win and give everybody the finger, you know. Right,
1: and <laughs> I, I was like, I was liking the uh, Kadrowski, I think it was. It came to to the race in his I Yeah.
6: Yeah, it was. It sucked though, because I'm in the early '90s. I'm riding ks 125 They were so slow.
3: Yeah. And that
6: that was that was why I learned how to do the machine work on the motors because we had to do something. They were dogs. And um and I get on my buddy's CR125 because everybody was riding those one, those CRs. Yeah. And I remember it's just like totally unfair. Those those bikes ripped right out of the box. You know, but I but I stuck on those green bikes because I didn't want to be a sellout. I didn't want to be a McGrath sellout.
1: I know? got you. <laughs> yeah, isn't it funny how like now all the bikes, even you know, like the last couple of years, the Suzuki's got the ba- the rap of being the slowest bike, but realistically, they're pretty damn fast. Um, for an average guy like myself, you know, they're all more than I could ever handle. They're so all the bikes are so good now.
6: Yeah, they're they're phenomenal. In fact, the last uh, I had an eighteen Sierra 450. And I literally sold it because it was too good. I was riding at <laughs> Zaka I was riding at Zacca station every week, yeah, and I'm just hauling that around this track and and
1: you know there's those
6: moments where I'm like everything feels good, but if something goes wrong, what the heck am I doing going this fast?
1: you know right
4: yeah and uh,
6: and i'm as i said i'm forty three I'm like, no, nope, screw that, I'm buying another two stroke. I'm going to go slower, but I'm
1: going to feel faster, and i gotta, I got to mellow out. <laughs> yeah, well, once I get this 99 together, that's probably going to be something I ride a lot, but i feel, I got a feeling it's going to take me a while. But I, I'm in the same boat, man. I get on that 06, or I've got the 06 Honda and the 15. I love both those bikes, but they're a little much sometimes when they get away from you. Uh, I mean, I've had a couple broke collarbones in the last couple of years, a punctured lung, you know, a lot, all that good stuff. So, yeah, I'm. I, it's time to slow it down.
6: Yeah, yeah, that's that's fun that you know all these two strokes are coming back. Like, two strokes are super cool now, and, and uh, it's good for the old guys because we remember those two strokes. I literally probably from from 1990 on, I have probably had my hands on every one of those two stroke models, you know, growing up racing. Either buddies had them or I had them, yeah, and um, so it's been cool because I feel like an expert when guys call the shop and need stuff for these two strokes, we know all about them.
1: That's awesome. Well, you were you were telling me before I let you go, uh, you've got a bunch of Hondas in there. Uh, are you are you just a Honda guy now in general? And how many do you actually have?
6: Uh, in the shop right now, I'll oh, see. The other day, if I counted yesterday, we had five in the shop. <laughs> um, but I'm not a Honda guy. Um, Hondas uh, are more prevalent, especially the because you know I have a '96 in, yeah. in there, I have a '93 in there, I have a '92 in there. And um, they just they just kind of survived. Everybody wants those with the new vintage stuff coming out. So it just yep. happened that way. Okay. If I could have any any bike in my shop just to have and to look at, it'd be a '91 KX125, a '92 RM250, um, and then where would I go from there? Shoot. Oh, and then and then and then a '98 YZ400.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, there you go. All right. Yeah, I'd like to have that 93 CR of yours. I think I told you on the phone that that was the first bike I bought with my own money, senior in high school. Say I traded my 89 RM125 in and paid the rest out. That was my first purchase, big purchase, and I would love to have that bike back. That's that's the next one I'm going to be looking for. Yeah,
6: yeah, we. I have that one because I know guys love them, so we're going to build it and promote with it. But, um, yeah, like I, I – well, those bikes, I wasn't even thinking about it, but none of
1: those
6: bikes I mentioned to you were red. <laughs> <laughs> I was always riding those different color bikes.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Hey, I mean, every that—that's why there's different brands. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dave, man, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I I appreciate your help with uh the the stuff for the '99. Um, it, it's going to make things a lot easier. And uh, yeah, I just I ordered another pro kit from you yesterday. So I look forward to getting that, and now I'll have one in my shop and one in my trailer when I go to the track. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, and I appreciate what you do and and helping out guys like myself and the the privateers. And, uh, like I said, Clint Lund, I know, is uh, a big supporter of you, and it, it means a lot to us, and I'm glad you're in business.
6: Yeah, no problem. I Like I said, I love my job. I appreciate all my customers. If, uh, for your listeners, if they use code um, GOT20 on the website, they'll get 20% off. It's has GOT-20. Got awesome. 20.
1: GOT20. 20. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll put that on our social media. And uh, thank you so much for coming on and for all your time.
6: You bet, man. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. You have a good night, Dave.
6: You too. Take care. All right. See ya.
1: Okay. Dave Nichols, again, Bolt Motorcycle Hardware. I know you guys probably already use them you've definitely seen their, their logo. Um, good people, good, just uh, good industry. You know, what's up, you know how I feel about everybody in this damn industry. Um, Dave really, he helped me out. I called him up the other day and told him what I was doing and he got pretty excited and he he gave me a, a good, a good deal on some parts, um, that I will be using on this rebuild once we get to it. Uh, once again, I want to, th- uh, announce our winners, Dex Lester, He's winning the uh, the Patreon fly fly F two helmet to be custom painted by Extreme Colors. I'll get with Dex um, today or tomorrow and see what he wants to do with that. Uh, Casey Lawrence won the Fly Racing Toxin Embargo helmet. Mm, excuse me. And uh, we're doing a if you go to our Instagram page at Pod Show. I'm do, we're doing a Blood Lubricants giveaway. Uh, we'll announce that winner next Tuesday. I believe is what I put on the Instagram page. You'll just have to look. But uh, get involved, guys. There's always a chance to win. Our sponsors get, are giving away a lot of great products. Appreciate all you guys listening. I'm going to wrap this show up. Episode 127 is done. Next week, DJ TJ will be in studio, or at least he's supposed to be, after I get back from WW Ranch. Hopefully, we'll have lots of good YouTube content and some uh, some great interviews next week. All right, that's it. See ya.